0: You're listening to Auto D, coming at you live. Best which way,
1: what, when, how? Mr. Auto D, fit the track right now.
2: Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in on this wonderful Monday evening here in Scottsdale, Arizona. I am your host, Otto Daniolo, broadcasting live from Dave Pratt's Star Worldwide Network studios high above Camelback Road. My guest on the Auto D show this evening is music publishing and licensing guru Jeff Freundlich, who also happens to be the COO of Fervor Records. Jeff will be with us right after the song that happens to be on the Fervor Records label by a band called Broken Bellows. Here is Magic in a Gaze.
0: Auto D, coming at you live.
2: And that was Magic in a Gaze by the Broken Bellows here on the Auto D Show, which is brought to you by Tretoria D'Amico in Awatuki, where you'll find me right after the show tonight. They're on the north side of Warner Road, just west of I 10. So uh, stop by sometime and tell them Auto sent you. And now, without uh, further ado, let me introduce to you. The one and only... thats no, a Beatle lyric. Uh, let me introduce to you my guest, the one and only Jeff Freundlich. Jeff, how are you doing?
1: Hey, man. How are you doing? It's great um, to be here.
2: Thanks for coming in. And hot on the heels of uh, your big successful event this weekend, I want to congratulate you on that, the uh, 2018 inaugural Music Business Summit.
1: Thank Saturday. you. Thank you.
2: Uh, it was fun to be a part of it. Um, I would imagine... That was a little different from your normal uh, day, working day. You know, this isn't, this isn't usually what you guys are doing. So, uh, was a whole lot of planning for you ahead of time.
1: It was a it was a ton of planning, and uh, there was a huge team that made myself and Dave Hilker, my business partner, look good.
2: You did uh, look good. You guys, well, thank were, you. It was a great presentation. Tell me about who who was uh, in charge. Who helped you out?
1: Uh, really, Thomas Bowen in our office uh, produced the entire five-hour event and uh, really coordinated this whole thing. Uh, and of course, the Glendale Library was incredible. And what an amazing venue to uh, to host the summit. Mm-hmm.
2: I had David on last week, your partner at Fervor Records, before the event. And I, wanted to, I told him, as I want to tell you, how, how wonderful I think it is that you took the time and energy to bring this to cast of characters together for this music
1: community. You know, the Phoenix has an incredible creative community. Mm-hmm. It, it really does. And uh, the idea behind this w- event was, one, there's a lot of misinformation out there about how the business of music works. And and two, whether you're just starting or you're somewhere in the middle of your career, you can always sharpen the tools in your toolbox and learn something new. You can network. You can get better at what it is that you do, build new skill sets um, to help uh, to help create value uh, in the in the business world as it relates mm-hmm. to music.
2: It's fascinating. A couple of things that I heard while I was there that I thought everybody in town who's a musician coming up should be hearing this. A couple of days before the summit, uh, I read on Facebook a musician complaining, I can't get anyone to review my record. Has anybody else have that problem? No one gets back to me. I can't get any record reviews. And so then you had two of the uh, longest you know music critics in town working for... Uh, print publications like New Times on stage with a publicist talking about that very thing. And both of them said they just don't really do music reviews anymore. They're not printed. So here you got a band who is unaware of what's going on, trying to get something to happen that doesn't happen anymore. And two guys who
1: used to do it all
2: the time, they just aren't asked to do it
1: anymore. Well, look, you've got Serene Dominic, who's been a, Mainstay in the journalism community in Phoenix for over twenty years, and you've got Jason Woodbury, who's written for Aquarium Drunkard, and uh, which is probably one of the most influential blogs out there right now, mm-hmm. uh, TasteMaker blog, as well as written in uh, for Phoenix New Times and other right. periodicals, and um, they're going to give it to you straight, and you yeah. might not like what you have, what they have to say, yeah. uh, but there are realities. Um, and you know, Dave and I, our, our success has been based on looking at the glasses half full and, uh, you have to know the difference between what you can control and what you can't control. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, you know, I, my advice to anybody that was in that audience or maybe for this particular band is, uh, be aware of the landscape and be aware of uh, where you can play a role and uh, where you can see some action and where it's a lost cause.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, also you had on some great music supervisors that you brought in from out of town. We did. And uh, what was it like for them? Because this, this had to be a little interesting.
1: So uh, we had, let me just give you a little background. We had yeah. Amanda Creek Thomas, who works on shows like The Americans on FX and American Horror Story. Uh, we had Brian Nagoot, who is at CBS and works on the Golden Globe award-winning show uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Was extremely approachable and friendly character. The, he's a yeah. sweetheart. And then we had Rob Lowry, who uh, has worked on a variety of independent films and uh, does Future Man on Hulu, as an example. Mm -hmm. right? And they all have a lot in common, and then they all are in different areas of this world. And uh, we kind of made a pact backstage before we went on, and we said, look, we're going to give for an hour. We're going to set each other up and knock it down and we're going to share as much as we can. And, um, I was blown away by their insights. Um, and again, just kind of the reality of, well, what does it take if you want your music license? Because in that audience there are publishers, there are artists, there are songwriters, they're all trying to monetize their creativity. Right. And we're Mm -hmm. talking about where commerce intersects with art. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, I just thought they had some great insights about the realities of how to do that.
2: Well, and there was something I, that I really got a kick out of when you asked Amanda about, you know, how would you like people to get a hold of you if they're going to get a hold of you? And she was like, I don't want to get a hold of me. <laughs> and I thought, and then everyone, of the, and both the other guys, you know, Rob and Brian, both agreed, don't try and get a hold of me. We get so much, we just can't. And then the way that um, she described it, I thought was really good for people to hear, and that was that, look, it takes me this long to make a phone call to one artist, or it takes me this long to make a phone call to Jeff, who has a massive library. That's all the time I have. I can get so much more done on that phone call. If you want to get to me, go to Jeff. I loved how she said, we don't have time to deal with you on an individual basis, because that's the truth.
1: It's true, and, and what she's really talking to is aggregators of catalogs right and that can be publishers right. it can be record labels right um it is very hard for look the amanda Creek Thomases of the world are working 60 70 hours a week they mm. are on ridiculous timelines and they're they have a lot of expectations to manage and a lot of people to please there's producers there's directors there's showrunners um their job is to make all of these people happy and god willing have a little creative input themselves right um they're not going to be able to take a million individual phone calls. Um, a big piece of their panel was: look, you need to find a way to network and link up with the aggregators of music right. that have relationships already. So you show up on our screen, essentially. Exactly. No,
2: but let's let's take that one step further because I wanted to throw this at you in front of the crowd, but I t- chose better. Uh, <laughs> Um, You know, when she says, go to Jeff, right? Well, that's a little bit of a stretch because you're not an open door to receive demos from people to pitch. You tend to license material that you create and or uh, own primarily to to market. So I was going to say, hey, Jeff, why don't don't we have forever give everybody, you know, just a a free pass on anything they said if you like it. 50% Fifteen percent, you'll take a commission on whatever you land for that track, and they don't even get signed to the label.
1: Just call one eight hundred Fervor Records, and uh, we'll be glad to listen to your track. And there's the deal. And there it is. So the deal might be different, but uh, we the, the can get to it. The reality is this: uh, we do work with a lot of artists, uh, not only in Phoenix, but really across the world. And um, Broken Bellows, for example, uh, Will Prinzi lives in California. Uh, I, you know, so we're, we're really all over the place. And um, it's hard to get a hold of us, quite frankly, because yeah. we're un- in yeah. Um Well, besides the label, you have the catalog that you manage. And of course. You've been really working a lot to build the vintage catalog. We really have. Uh, vintage music is something that is really near and dear to my heart and Dave's heart. And um, there are so many talented artists and musicians Really going back, I mean, we've got music from 1921, and uh, to perpetuate the legacies of some of these artists, uh, some of them made it and were quite successful, and some never made it out of their living room. Mm-hmm. Um, but they all have a story, and uh, they have something artistic to, st- to say, and it's our job to curate that catalog and perpetuate those legacies by telling stories. Um, And getting it monetized in uh, licensing, whether it's advertising or film or TV. I want to go back to one more point with the music supervisors. And, uh, uh, um, you know, the takeaway for me, and um, I had this epiphany on the stage with the music supervisors, but it it really pertained to every panelist, whether it was Scott Ferranda from Teleport, uh, if it was the journalists, if it was the music supervisors. All of them are successful. They all were willing to stick out their necks and take a shot. And um, I cannot stress, one, that's so hard to do, right? I mean, it takes chutzpah at the end of the day. And um, they were willing to stick out their hand knowing it might not be shaken. Uh, They might not have have gotten a return handshake. Um, You listen to the story of uh, Rob Lowry, who was working on a a TV show and just didn't even think anything of it and said, I'm just going to start... Putting together little playlists for this TV show, right? Or Amanda, who was turned it. down within uh, the company she was working for. I think it was Lionsgate at the time, and just said, "You know what? I'm just going to keep applying. I'm going to keep applying. I'm going to keep applying." And then uh, she finally gets the job. It's an inflection point, and it takes her on this incredible career to where she's now music supervising literally seven or eight TV shows. Yeah.
2: And how about Scott, who did intern for you before? Yes. He, where he's at now, and how he got his job with a hundred emails he sent in a day to the same place so they're like oh yeah you're the guy who blew up our email box
1: scott is one of my favorite stories he started as an intern at fervor record this is fervor records this is years ago and uh we quickly realized this is somebody that needs to be on our team on a on a permanent basis and we knew that one day we were going to lose scott to los angeles i mean his dream was really to go out to la and, and make it and right he, he uh miraculously gets the job of being a personal assistant to Tyrese. (laughs) Uh, That kind of put him through a ringer and was a, was a wake up call. And I think I'll just uh, end that part of the story there, but um, of, you know, just hustles and hustles and networks. And I was talking to him in the green room and he, he was just telling me about how, how many coffees he took, how many drinks he bought people, whatever it took to just network and develop relationships. And, uh, you know, flash forward a couple of years, the guy's working at Teleport, he's helping to manage Bishop Briggs and a band named Dorothy, and I, I'm not sure if you're familiar mm-hmm. with Dorothy, but they are awesome, mm-hmm. and uh, he's living the dream. He's living his version of his dream, and it is it is awesome to see that.
2: And on that stage, uh, Scott struck me as the one guy who hasn't been hounded a lot from the people coming up behind him yet. He, he sat there differently than everyone else sat there for questions. Everyone else sat there prepared to take it, like they were taking punches. They were still open and gave incredible information and honest you know, answers and perspective. But Scott sat forward like, like he, he was just whatever. And you could, they were asking himself, and he would just think, uh, yeah, and he would just spill it. He even said once, I hope my boss doesn't fire me, but here's the thing. <laughs> he just spilled everything, and it was fun to see
1: how refreshing it was. He had no fear of sharing anything with you. Scott, the reason people gravitate to Scott, and really it's the same reason that people gravitate to artists, is that when it's authentic and when it's real, people make that connection. And Scott has that innate ability to be real and just be himself. He's not putting on airs. um, And it just comes across in such a pleasurable way.
2: Now, I know you and I could talk about all of these fine people for the whole show, but I want to talk about you. We've already spent the first quarter of the show. We haven't gotten there. But before we go there, we can't leave out Jonathan Rosner. Jonathan was also a wonderful guest. I want you to tell me a little bit about how you first got associated with
1: Jonathan. So uh, we have a mutual friend named Abby North. Um, she's a very successful publisher. Uh, she actually has the publishing rights to Unchained Melody, which is probably cool. a top 100 copyright um, yeah. in the world ever, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, I remember it, we. I think I was, you know, I was on a phone call with Abby, and she said, you know, I really want you to meet Jonathan Rosner. And um, I'm always somebody that I enjoy networking. I like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's something that you can learn from everybody. Right. And I get on the horn with Jonathan, and he's talking to me about his past. Uh, he was the president of Bicycle Music, which is, I don't, I, I'm sure you're aware of this, but your listeners might not know, literally one of the largest independent publishers in the world. It's now owned by Concord. Um, but here's a guy that has an just a huge wealth of knowledge about music publishing. And he's kind of seen it all. And he's got a perspective that is very broad in scope. Um, And that's for the better and the worse, because he's seen changes in the industry. And uh, if you want to be successful, you've got to be able to adapt. And um, so I think a lot of that panel was maybe talking about the way things were versus the way things are. And again, going back to this idea of the glass being half full – How do you navigate turbulent waters? Um, And quite frankly, from my perspective and and from a business perspective, how do you go to where the water water is flowing? Mm -hmm. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like because you can spend all day waiting for the water to flow to you. But guess what? That's not how it works. That's right. Yeah. That's absolutely right. He's a a really special guy.
2: Well, speaking of special guys, uh, you're a special guy with a lot of talents. You came up as a singer-songwriter. And now you're, and you go to school, you get your degree and you go off working for EMI, which I just raced through your whole life back to where we are now. And uh, you're running this music production company and publishing company, licensing to TV and film, really representing with a passion all of these other artists' lives. And uh, you and I had an opportunity to work on a number of records for the company. And and, uh, it was my opportunity to hear you sing and work on things that you had written. And personally, I think it was a lot of fun to see uh, this, it was years ago now But uh, to see how you looked on the microphone oh, This was your big day to hit play It wasn't quite <laughs> as serious work as the other days This was the fun stuff you know. So you still have a huge part of that artist's heart in you And just before the show you mentioned I think you still write all the time
1: I do I mean, I, look Writing for me is a coping, coping mechanism for life I will never not write I'll be writing until the day I die mm-hmm. And uh, for me, I feel like I'm I am my best version of myself when I'm writing music and when I'm sharing that experience with others. Um, And that includes my time with you, quite frankly. I mean, Mm -hmm. I had a blast and I don't know how much your listeners know about you, but you know, Otto, (laughs) he's such a pro. He, uh, we used to hang out all the time at his studio, Shatan. And, uh, we would just have the best time and we'd be working long weeks, writing, rewriting, recording, uh, it was really special. And one of my favorite. so Shaitan Studios was on Brill Street. Mm-hmm. And so we did a, a project, which is commercially re- released. It's called Brill Street Collective. And the idea behind the project was there's so much talent in town. Let's just write great songs and get this group of talent together to record. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did one song called Constellation. Which, uh, you know, being in the studio, you, uh, you, I mean, it's a very intimate experience and everyone's just kind of doing their thing. And every now and then Otto would sing something and, uh, I'm singing the vocals on Constellation, but that's really me doing an impersonation of you if you were doing an impersonation of Bono from U2. Okay.
2: <laughs> we'll have to play that one. So uh, let's let's pull this up. This is Constellation. And so this is something in your catalog and has this been on TV and film?
1: Yeah, this has been in a bunch of TV shows and it's actually being looked at uh, for a show on CBS right now and I, I don't want to jinx it and put the whammy on it, but I will certainly cool. let you know if it happens so you can play it again.
2: Awesome. So here is Constellation from, and this is on the Fervor Records, or is this yeah, the this Wild World? This World's... is on a
1: Fervor Records release okay, cool. um, from Brill Street Collective called First Collection, and the song is called Constellation. Check it out.
0: Listening to Auto D coming at you live,
2: and that was Constellation here on the Auto D Show, where my guest is Jeff Bruindlich, who was actually songwriter and singer on that last track.
1: Yeah, and you're you're actually a co-writer on that, as is Jared Gill, uh, unbelievably talented guitarist.
2: Yeah, I haven't seen Jared in a while. I got to get him down here; that'd be fun. Well
1: he's up in Seattle now.
2: Well, he can I can do it over the phone. Yeah, do it something. over the that'd phone. Be fun, be fun. But um, so now, how long, when did you start writing? How old were you when you got into this whole
1: racket? Oh, God, this is a long story. It's hard well, to think back
2: that far, maybe. <laughs> so much has happened in your career.
1: I mean, music is, has always just been uh, a, a tremendously large part of my life. And some of it is uh, my, my paternal grandparents uh, were forehand pianists and traveled the world. Uh, my grandfather taught at Juilliard. Forehand. Gr- forehand. So four, uh, both hands on one piano. Uh, performing at the same time so and cool. uh, they they were both kind of these like brilliant classically trained uh, pianists yeah. and wrote some definitive books and
2: oh, blah awesome. blah
1: woof woof and uh, and so from a very early age um, I, you know I was plopped down on a piano and mm-hmm. um, I was lucky enough that my grandmother bought me an upright piano which I still own a bald one upright. Awesome. and um and so you know, at some point, probably like by seventh grade, uh, when I was just completely addicted to rock music and pop music and everything that was going on, I, I, had, I wanted to learn to play the drums. So started taking drum lessons, and uh, by my freshman year in high school, I was in bands and playing uh, CBGBs in New York City, because I grew up in New York City, okay. and uh, eventually playing uh, The Bitter End, which is kind of like a legendary club in, in Manhattan, and um I was just enamored with it. And I I remember uh, specifically, God, I was probably like eighth grade. I I was watching, I was up really late one night. Remember there used to be the late, late show with Bob Costas Mm -hmm. and he had Paul McCartney on for a week straight. And, um, I was like mesmerized by this, you know, because I I knew Beatles music, but like seeing all this footage and then hearing Paul McCartney talk about it, and it just kind of like blows your mind, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, it was it was this like magical thing, and it made me want to learn more about. Okay, well, what who? It, you know, he was talking about how he was influenced by Elvis or Buddy Holly. And then you think, oh, well, let me go check out Buddy Holly or Elvis or mm-hmm. Chuck Berry or, or right. whatever it is. Right. And um and all of a sudden these roads start branching out and you get more and more into music. And, and then I start getting fascinated by how does like Led Zeppelin and Simon and Garfunkel coexist in the same year? Like, how does that happen? You know what I mean? <laughs> I and uh, so anyways, flash forward, I'm in college. And um, I get offered... I was an intern at EMI Records my freshman year of college and parlayed that into being a college marketing representative. And I'm working in the New York office in the summers, and I'm working from college, getting paid, which is great. I've got money to go out on dates. Getting, I'm getting paid by a record company to promote records and learn this industry. And then going into my senior year in college... A, and where
2: were you at school in college? I, I
1: went to Lehigh University in, in Bethlehem, okay. Pennsylvania. And... um Going into my senior year in college, I'm thinking, I've got it made in the shade. I'm, I've rocked this gig for three years, everyone knows me, a job offer is just around the corner, and I stroll into the office, it's right by like Radio City Music Hall, and uh, and then actually they move downtown, maybe we're downtown, and David Seegerson, who's the, the head of the, the label EMI, mm-hmm. calls everybody over and he says, the label just went bankrupt. <laughs> And I think, I'm out of this business. <laughs> There's no way. I, I can't deal with this kind of instability. You know. And it, it freaks me out. And, um, and, <laughs> and really, it, I think it was a good thing because I, I ended up going into the business world. I work for like a large consulting firm. I work for an internet startup called NettoPhone. And um, during this time, I realized I'm losing myself. You know, I've been in music has been a part of me in some way, whether it's writing in college and playing open mics or performing in bands in high school or uh, whatever these things are. And what I'm realizing over the next couple of years is that I'm losing who I am, like in the most fundamental way. And uh, my wife had grown up. She spent her high school years out in Scottsdale. And uh, she really. So at wa- this
2: point, were you guys together?
1: Yeah, we've been uh, we've been together since the end of freshman year in high school in college. Oh, okay. I mean, we've been uh, we actually just had our 18th wedding anniversary. Congratulations! In April. Thanks so much. And um, so you know, she really wanted to paint. I really wanted to get back involved with music. I felt like I had something to offer the world. And um, we literally hopped on a plane, looked at 30 houses in a week in Phoenix and Scottsdale, and uh, found one we liked. Made an offer, flew back, told our jobs that we were quitting because we wanted to kind of like hit the reset button on our lives. And they were so blown away. And we'd built up so much goodwill because we were kind of like little rock stars in our our own respective industries Mm -hmm. that... They let us telecommute from Arizona back east. And this is in 56K modem days, right? Yeah, I was going to say, that's a while and, uh, back. Yeah, I mean, it was brutal. and uh, But they they were so blown away by kind of what we were trying to do that they let us telecommute until we got on our feet. And uh, I started writing some demos uh, for a Sony artist. Um, they were mostly garbage. and uh, But... I'm, I'm recording with Gary Romero at GR1 Studios. The studio breaks down. I have to get a demo out within like 48 hours to an entertainment lawyer in New York. And he says, look, you better call Dave Hilker. He can finish this, you know, in enough time. I call Dave. Um, we kind of hit it off. We finished the, you know, the demo. So at
2: this point, had you met Dave? No, point? no. We'd okay. never met before, right?
1: Okay. And, uh, and so uh, I go down to the studio. I meet Dave we we finished this this project overnight it, and um but you know we just start talking and and hanging out and he's telling me about um his experiences writing for artists as well as writing for film and TV and writing for other publishers and um it was just um, kind of like this magical thing and I think we both kind of realized maybe we should be hanging out more and I I'd, I'd come down to the studio I'd say hey man you know, what do you, uh, you know, what can I do to help? You know, like mm-hmm. I just, I wanted to learn from him and hopefully I had something, something to, to offer Dave. And, um, he really became a, a musical mentor for me in terms of crafting songs better and getting good performances out of vocalists. And, um, Kind of flash forward, and uh, we've been in—we've been together in business now since 2002. Dave had Fervor Records before I met him. We kind of co-founded World Music Publishing Inc., which is the publishing side of this, and uh, some of the catalog that we uh, license for film and TV. And uh, we've just kind of watched this thing snowball and grow. And. It's been a grind it's it's literally pushing a 500 pound boulder up a steep hill every day mm-hmm. um but i really can't imagine doing anything else um it's really a magical fun experience and and when you can tell a songwriter or an artist that something that they created is going to be on a tv show or in a film uh we have one artist his name is bob kelly he's uh, i think he's like 82 now mm-hmm. and when you tell him that one of his songs is going to be on a TV show. And we've got music from this guy from the 1950s, right? He was in a doo-wop group called Bob Kelly and the Pikes. When you tell an 80-year-old man that a a song that he wrote when he was in his 20s is going to be on a TV show, his voice goes back to that of a Uh 20-year-old. And the amount of excitement and the joy, um, and quite frankly, the validation, (laughs) right, of knowing that something that you created is going to be heard by a larger audience is a magical blessing mm-hmm. uh so that's it, really been a phenomenal um that's really been a phenomenal gift mm-hmm. really from this whole experience uh beyond just writing which is something i've got to do anyways right, right? musicians musicians have to musish they just do <laughs> you know and um actually i know i know we have a bob kelly track and I'm, I'm hoping maybe i can tell you a story about him okay um because as i as i, think I mentioned to you maybe offline you know, a lot of what we do is perpetuate the legacies of artists, and we want to know their stories. We want to know what made them tick, right? And that really is isn't that kind of what your show is about. At the end of the yeah. day, what makes people tick? Right. And um, Bob grew up in East Texas, and uh, and this is in the '40s and the '50s, and um, it's racist. There's segregation. Uh, it's a, it's a ugly time in some respects for the, the history of America in terms of race relations. And he, he, he tells the story about how he and his friends would go to this huge airfield in the middle of the night because the radio signals from, uh, would, would be, uh, could be heard better at nighttime and you could get, you could pick up stations from much, much further away. Mm-hmm. And All of the friends would go to this airfield and they would point all of their cars into the middle of the field and they would turn on their headlights and then they would they could get black radio stations only at night and they would all crank up their radios and they would dance to back then what were called race records. Mm -hmm. Right. And of course, what this is, is uh, early soul and Mm -hmm. early rock and roll. Right. Yeah. And um, and then, of course, this influences a guy like Bob Kelly, who starts a doo-wop group called Bob Kelly and the Pikes and uh, later goes on to write for Gene Vincent and later goes on to play at all the Playboy clubs and mm-hmm. becomes a mainstay in Vegas and has a 40 or 50 car- year career in music. And luckily for us, we've got uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of, of songs that Bob wrote or co-wrote. um throughout this magnificent career and um, those stories to us are magical and I think people make an emotional connection with the music when they hear those stories
2: mm-hmm. now I've got a cut of his is that the uh, Because I Love
1: You So track? Because I Love You So which is a, a doo-wop tune uh, from the 1950s
2: cool well, let's just take a quick listen to that and then we'll be right back on the Otto D show
0: you are my dream I you to know I need you, baby Can't let you go I dream about you All the night long. Seems somebody Has gone wrong You used to call me On the telephone Now you never see me You leave me all alone Can't live Because I love you so I miss you from night till dawn Seems though I can't go on This longing in me Makes me feel so all alone So all alone If you would see me That would be divine wish you could love me be here all the time i can't live without you want you to know because i love you so because i love you so you're listening to R.O.D. Coming at you live.
2: And that was Because I Love You So here on the Auto D Show, another Fervor Records track. And the artist on that track was... Bob Kelly and the Pikes. Bob Kelly and the Pikes, a, a, an artist title name I'm not really familiar with, so, <laughs> so I didn't have it on the tip of my tongue there. But, um,
1: you know, we have a song called On the Tip of My Tongue, Blue not, right? well, Yeah, well let's,
2: well, let's spin that one. We got the whole
1: catalog. I, I drive my family nuts with that. They'll say something, I'll be like, hey, we have a song called That, you know, yeah. like t- 20 times a day.
2: Well, your catalog, how many, you know, cuts do you have? There's got to be thousands. So, <sighs> yeah,
1: I think uh, if you kind of combined all of our independent artists, all of our heritage artists, all of the vintage music, Mm -hmm. as well as, uh, kind of like what we would call production music that might be used, uh, in an Arizona diamondbacks game as an example, we're Mm -hmm. probably looking at, uh, 7,500 or 8,000 compositions.
2: Yeah. So you get a lot of words in there, a lot of titles. Yeah. So I bet that's a common experience discovering them. Um, speaking of that, discovering something, I imagine the first time you had a cut on a television show, uh, it had to be like a brand new experience for you.
1: It was it was magical, and it was kind of like validation that I was on the right path. And and everybody everybody needs validation at some point. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs to hear, "Hey, you know what? I think you can do this." You know, and, <laughs> and I had a couple of moments like that yeah. in in my life. And and certainly, my first placement on a TV show was that. Uh, and do you remember? Do you recall the show? I do. It was The Shield, which was a really popular show starring Michael Chiklis on FX. And uh, the song was called "My Man," It's sung by Diana Lee, who uh, has is a mainstay in the Phoenix music scene right. for a long time. And I co-wrote it with Gary Romero. And um, the funny thing is, it happened. the The song was used over a rape scene. So one of the cops is actually raping somebody, and so the song is used in an ironic way, right? Mm-hmm. And so here's kind of this super proud moment but I can't exactly call up my mom and be like, mom, I've got this great cut on TV. Let's watch it together. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, it was, it was really powerful. And then I remember hearing my own voice on, uh, one tree Hill, which was a really popular show on the yeah. CW. And, mm. uh, I had, uh, written a punk project, which is commercially released. It's called cage in the pubes. Uh, cause the, the guy singing, his real name was cage, believe it or not. Right. And he like worked at a tattoo parlor, uh, somewhere in, in Scottsdale. And, um, I remember hearing my voice and just thinking, "What could be better than this It's like i am I am literally doing what I love. I'm getting paid for it. People are hearing my music and 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 look, at the end of the day, the show is more important than some song that I wrote right The song that they're using is there to reinforce a setting or or reinforce a scene mm-hmm. and and I get that, and that's cool. But the idea that somebody is hearing music that I created um or co-created is is a really magical thing, um, mm-hmm. and that validation, quite frankly, feels really good.
2: On that particular show, One Tree Hill, yeah, it's called um, didn't last very long. Oh no, that was
1: on like seven or eight seasons. That was a monster show. I was
2: thinking it didn't yeah. last very long. All right, well then I was going to tell you a story. Maybe I have my shows mixed up, but I had a song you had of mine called "One New, My New Trauma" that yeah. I think was placed on that show. Yeah, and when I told my daughter, all of a sudden I was cool because that was her favorite show. But then it was like off the next season. So it must have been maybe the last season. Maybe it was the last season. Maybe it was the last season. that's when I noticed the show was around. (laughs) Well, I mean,
1: you know, we've got uh, some placements in season two of Stranger Things. Right. And like my kids are just completely geeked out over that. They just think – because, you know, it's like every kid watches Stranger Things. Quite frankly, a lot of adults, you know, on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's it's really cool when you – hey, if you're ever at a cocktail party and you can't think of something to say, it's like, oh, well – We've had music on this, and you know, and and there, and it turns out there's been a lot of thises over the years.
2: Right. Just rattle off some shows you guys have placed tunes on.
1: NCIS, NCIS LA, Stranger Things, Riverdale, which is on the CW and is a popular one right now. Lucifer on Fox. Uh, there's a film that came out. Uh, called the Disaster Artist, which won a Golden yeah, Globe I this year. To see that, actually. We had a, a couple tunes on that. One of them actually is performed by Francine Reed, um, awesome. who is just she's been on the show. She is amazing. Uh, I just love Francine, and and she her performances live are incredible because she's a giver. She's not a taker. She is opening her heart to the world when she performs and it, it's beautiful to see that it's it's inspiring mm-hmm. uh what else we do really well in in films that go to like Sundance and Tribeca Film Festival there's a a film opening at Tribeca this year called Maplethorpe and it's all about Robert Maplethorpe the the photographer and um We've got three songs in that, uh, and a bunch of them are by local artists. There's uh, a group called... How are these films
2: coming to you before they're really out there, if you're talking about films that are going to festivals?
1: So, you know, all the music has to be what's called cleared before it can be exhibited... Theatrically or before it's broadcast. Mm-hmm. And so music supervisors who, you know, and we kind of discussed music supervisors, they were on this panel. It's really their job to coordinate between directors and showrunners and producers and line all this up. So they come to us and they say, look, Maplethorpe is a film that is taking place between years X and Y. Uh, and we, we know we're going to need a lot of pop music or new wave um, to reinforce the setting um, there's going to be scenes during photo shoots where Maplethorpe is uh, going to have music blasting and it's going to create an emotional ambiance. And it's and uh, they come to us and they say, what do you have that you think could work? And uh, so we interact with the music supervisors and a lot of times they pivot mm-hmm. and uh, we just keep pitching until uh, they have something that they think works. And so that's how it works with all, with all these projects.
2: How have you uh, how has this changed your take with on music or your relationship to it when you got into it as a player and then working for EMI, which is a record company, and now your primary focus is attaching music to TV and film? Do you watch more T V and film, you know, and, and do well, you listen differently?
1: My wife is a huge movie buff and so we spend a lot of time uh that's kind of our thing. We'll go to the movies or we'll watch something on Netflix or uh, same thing with documentaries. And so um, that's just kind of an inherent part of our relationship. But the funny thing is now we'll be watching something and my wife will say, oh, that must have cost a fortune, you know, and I <laughs> still hear like a Rolling Stones song and she'll yeah. be like, oh, I can't believe they use that, you know, <laughs> um, I think when I was at EMI. I was living vicariously through the artists. And I think that I was young enough that I I had a fantasy of, well, maybe if I do this and I ingratiate myself, maybe one day I'll be an artist. Um, And I think part of me kind of always knew that's not something that I really wanted to pursue. The idea of being on the road 200 days a year and being a traveling salesman for music um, is not something that's attractive to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think... From the fervor side of things, whether it's pitching other artists or kind of expressing myself musically, um, the idea of, of giving, and I know that theme kind of comes up several times as, as we've been talking, but this idea of giving opportunities or lifting others up is a really good feeling and it reinforces wanting to continue to do that and working with artists and uh, getting the best out of them and then seeing that reflected in a film or TV show is is so gratifying that it almost becomes like addictive.
2: Mm -hmm. I
1: think um, in terms of watching TV or watching films, yeah, it does affect how you watch or how you listen. Um, Is it for the better or the worse? I don't know. It's all I really know.
2: Mm -hmm. Was there a particular show, whether it was like a nfl or or you know who knows what was there something that when you really landed it you were just kind of specifically or especially excited just personally
1: yeah i mean actually it's funny because um we, we do really well on uh fox sports both regionally and nationally so whether it's on like fs1 or if it's on the local milwaukee brewers baseball game that's only broadcast in wisconsin but um and this just happened to me last year i'm a huge yankees fan i grew up in new york City. And uh, I mean, I just spent if I wasn't writing music or playing in a band, I was probably at a baseball game, okay, you know, cool. and uh, and my favorite thing to do now is like flip a Yankee game on and then take a nap. Right. And I have the game on. I'm taking a nap. A song comes on and I'm like, why is this so familiar? I know this. I know this. And I'm singing the <laughs> words and I'm singing the words and I'm like, I wrote that. And you know, so I combined my two favorite things in life. I it was like a this amazing moment of hearing a song I wrote in a Yankee game, and it was like, forget it. It's like I, I've done everything now. I can I can die right now. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Well, don't don't just yeah. Say it. I, I'm not done yet. That's I got a, more to do.
2: Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I think that that's one of the things that's neat for all of the uh, artists that you represent or writers that you represent. Like you said, when you can tell them, hey, you're on this show. Uh, that's that's a, a pretty cool, pretty cool deal. Pretty big deal.
1: You know, one thing we. Um, talk a lot about with artists and, and, you know, we have to turn a lot of artists down as well. I mean, you were asking before, well, how do people reach out? And you know, the, the bar is really high. If you want to have music in a TV show or a film, I mean, we are literally competing with Sony records, uh, Capitol records. I mean, there's a craft to songwriting. Uh, the songs have to be great. You listen to that broken bellow song that you opened the show with. The, the vocals are beautiful. The build mm-hmm. in the song is incredible. Um, it is a professional piece of delivered music. Um, when you listen to the duop song, uh, and and you, look, those were young kids back then, but you know those guys can sing, and they're in meter. And when you listen to Constellation, the drummer is in meter, mm-hmm. and um, the bass line is dynamic, played played by Otto D, by the way. Oh, thank you very and much. Um, you know, it, all these things that really need to come together to make. A three-minute piece of music sound fantastic. Uh, That's what it takes if you really want to have your music in film and TV. And and it's hard because when we create something, uh, we become emotionally attached to it, Mm -hmm. right? And you have to be able to separate yourself and look at your work critically um, and say, "Hey, is this really the best it can be?" And writing, quite frankly, is rewriting. Um, We talk we talk a lot about that. Um, So it's it's really. It's a pleasure and an honor to um, help other people with that, just like how people have helped me with that, including you, quite frankly, Mm -hmm. Otto. Well, I, learned, I learned a lot from you in the studio. Good,
2: good. Thank you very much. That's a nice thing to say. But let me ask, uh, mention this as well. I think that when people do write, and this is something that was reinforced at the summit as well, they really need to listen to the show that they think they're writing for. You can't just write something good and then go, someone will put this on TV and, or in film. And not just because it's good. Because it's good, they might like it. So now it's in a back burner in their head for some day if it happens across their mind when an opportunity comes up. But really, the opportunities come up, and then they go looking.
1: So here's, you know? here's my take on that. If you are writing music, write the best song you can possibly write. Don't think about, I'm writing this for film and TV. Okay. Write a great song. If you're pitching a song to film or TV, make sure you're only pitching music that is appropriate for that show. So we don't really think of it as, hey, we're, we're going to write Constellation because it's going to work great for TV. Gotcha. We're writing Constellation because we think it's cool. We think it sounds great. We think there's something dynamic and intriguing about that song. We know good music will be licensed. We just don't know when. And you can be sure that we will only pitch a song like that at the appropriate time. Cool. Does that make sense? Totally.
2: Now, in an email you sent me earlier, uh, you mentioned that you're a big fan of Only Living Boy in New York. Yeah. I want to talk about that movie because I haven't seen it, but I remember seeing the trailer. And I actually have a list of movies I want to see, and it's on that list. Are was, you talking about Garden
1: State, the movie Garden State? Uh,
2: Only Living Boy in New York. Isn't oh, okay.
1: Well, I, I, yeah, it was used. It was popularized most recently in the film Garden State, but uh, it might have it might have been a movie on its own as well.
2: Well, maybe the movie was Garden State, but uh, what I recall when when I read the title, I thought I recognized that title, and I googled it today, and up came the trailer, and I assumed it was for that film. Maybe it was for something else. Yeah, I
1: think I, I I'm not even With Jeff I wasn't Bridges in the in the. Honestly, um, I, you've got I'm stumped. I, I've just known that song because I've always been a huge Simon and Garfunkel okay. fan. Okay. Um, but it was popularized about fifteen years ago. Again, it kind of came back almost in like this indie hipster way because of the movie Garden State.
2: Okay, cool. cool.
1: But growing up in New York City and when you're a teenager and you're feeling um, kind of lost because you're still figuring out who you are, um, I always thought that song was just kind of like a magical. Uh, song, and and I'm a sucker for harmony. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was something about that that I always just thought that was really special.
2: Cool. Since you spend so much time uh, working on music, pitching it, writing it, and producing it, um, and people coming after you to show you music, you know, to sell you on it, how much time do you spend just randomly listening, looking for and listening to music, like uh, going through CDs or going online and just looking for something? Do you do that at all?
1: You know, we we listen to a ludicrous amount of music at work and uh for sure there's ear fatigue by the end of the day um i think the 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 thing i enjoy most about music now is sitting at home with my kids and playing some of my favorite music for them and maybe mm-hmm. telling them some stories behind the music. Uh, I mean, the the Amazon Echo is actually, like, great for that because you can just say, hey, <laughs> Alexa, play this. And um, boom. Yeah, and boom, and there it is. And um, kind of turning them on to, you know, whether it's jazz or um, some old Beatles track or, you know, or whatever it is and kind of telling them why... It was important to me and seeing if they can relate to it. And then they can turn it around and do the same thing and, and they can start playing things. And I believe it or not, I actually end up discovering a lot of music through my kids now. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of my shared experience with music. Usually when I'm driving home uh, from the studio, the radio is off. I just need a little bit of quiet. Yeah, no, I know that. Yeah. But music is meant to be shared. Uh, it's like a communal thing or or at least it it is for me that's uh, a powerful tool music kind of brings us together and we can share our experiences with it or it brings us back
2: now as an artist uh you've never released your own record as an artist have you i haven't and so don't you think maybe it's time for fervor to release the jeff f
1: (laughs) you know there's a there's a lot of music out there that i have written and um, i know there is and 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 it's um, always
2: a little different because it's Designed to be a style of a, for the catalog.
1: Well, or, and, you know. well, and also just kind of bringing out what I think the best in that artist is, right. you know? Uh, and so certainly I've sung on things and um, right. such as the Pearl Street Collective Project. And um, I, I really love writing for women. Um, I'm not sure why, but I think the, mm-hmm. the female voice is just something that is magical. Maybe it like brings me back to the womb or something. I don't know. Right. And um yeah, I don't know maybe maybe one day I'll do a project, but like i I'm not really looking for the attention, quite frankly. um I, what i I'm kind of I get high off the experience of writing it um mm-hmm. and kind of being a part of that process, um not really looking for the attention of being front and center,
2: right? Well, let's uh, spin another cut.
1: So I know you've got a couple for me. Um, There's an incredibly talented woman named Becca Cote. And uh, I wrote a song for her called Epic. uh, And it was co-written by Andy Gerald, who, believe it or not, played bass for Marilyn Manson and then went on to uh, play guitar in Rock of Ages, the musical in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And um, Becca is now a backup singer for Rod Stewart. And she's actually making her... Broadway debut later this year awesome and um what's she doing on Broadway um I am not allowed to say right now so um I'll I'll email you in a couple months (laughs) and uh she is so talented and uh we did a song called epic um and and the intent of it was to be epic and um it's a little theatrical in in some respects and I'm really proud of, of this song it was featured on Lucifer uh which is a show on Fox I think it was last season, and it's got over 100,000 spins on Spotify now. And it's another one of those things where we're talking about that positive reinforcement and that validation and the idea that even outside of a TV show, that somebody is connecting with something that you wrote, or it's inspiring them, or it's helping them through a hard time. Um, that feels good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like to feel good. And so it's, it's a proud moment for me personally as a writer.
2: Cool. Well, then let's play this uh, new cut, fairly new cut uh, from Jeff called Epic here on The Auto-D Show.
0: Auto D coming at you live,
2: and that was Becca Cote with Epic here on the Auto D Show, written by Jeff Link as well. Nice song, thanks, man. Very, very cool. One of many cuts on the Forever Records uh, label, and I want to say you and I have had an association going back a long time. Uh, it's been uh, wonderful to work with you and have the opportunity to, and, and actually have some of my songs played on TV and film because of your efforts. And so I want to announce to our audience that we are now going to cozy up our relationship in another way for the the next short period of time as Fervor Records becomes a sponsor of the Auto-D show. And we're going to start opening uh, the show every evening, every Monday night with uh, Fervor Records Cut.
1: We are so happy to be a part of what you're doing. We're really big believers. We're storytellers. You get stories out of your uh, guests here and we just think that's a such an awesome thing and uh, we're thrilled to be a, a small part of what it is that you're doing Otto
2: well thank you very much and I think it's going to be great to have an opportunity to take your catalog some of the cuts that are on TV and film that aren't necessarily played in
1: another aspect this will give us just another outlet for you
2: and so if people want to get to you with their material what's the best way to reach you
1: you know, I think the best way to reach out is through Facebook. Um, connect with us on Facebook. See what we're doing. Peruse our artists. Um, if you're going to reach out, um, maybe tell us why. You, you know, it's a it's a high bar. And um, we want you to think critically before you reach out. Uh, you kind of only get one chance to make a first impression. It's not the truth? It really is. And um, reach out. Send us a message and, um, you know, maybe send us a link so we can take a listen to something. And uh, hey, you never know. And then uh, is there a website for Fervor Records as well? Of course. Fervor, which is F-E-R-V-O-R dash records dot com. And that's also a great resource to kind of... Peruse our artists and and see what uh, what we've got cooking, as well as kind of keep track of uh, placements in film and TV and um, kind of all the exciting things all, all the exciting things going on with fervor. And are
2: you guys still looking for more uh, catalog stuff, like artists who maybe made records twenty five years ago and haven't done much with them now, but they still own the rights and they've got them? Is that something you're looking to review?
1: We, we are predominantly looking for back catalog. Uh, if you've got back catalog, and it's funny because a lot of these guys they perceive their old catalog as a failure because they didn't make it, right? right? But there might be lightning in a bottle there. And uh, so share it with us and share your stories. And uh, hey, you never know. Maybe we'll be doing business one day.
2: Very cool. Now, when we opened the show, we talked about this uh, very recent Music Business Summit. Um, Do you have this the second annual planned?
1: So we are already planning the second Music Business Summit And uh, this is going to be an annual thing. Uh, This is a great way to give back to the entire community, uh, predominantly in Phoenix. But really, we had people flying in from Colorado and California for this thing. And uh, it will just continue to grow and get better. We will have uh, different panels. It's going to be it will continue to be a 50,000 foot view of the ever evolving business of music um because it's it it was different 10 years ago than it is now and quite frankly it'll be different in another 10 years and uh we need to stick together and we need to learn from each other we need to network and uh and strengthen our skill sets
2: and at this point do you think that's still going to be a 250 seat event all day do you know yet or is it going to be a larger event
1: we will uh you're going to have to stay tuned for that um yeah we'll um we need to get some feedback from participants, and uh, we, we kind of want to hear from what people thought of the venue. We want to hear from the panelists uh, that were up there and make sure they felt comfortable. But I will tell you this. Uh, we really enjoyed working with the the Glendale Library. Their facility is phenomenal, and uh, my guess is we'll be doing uh, more with Glendale.
2: Awesome. i look forward to that. I'm happy to be part of it again next year. It was a blast. And, Jeff, thanks for coming in.
1: It's my pleasure.
2: I had no idea you played piano since you were a little toddler. That's awesome. (laughs) I
1: should be better than I am.
2: And uh, congratulations on getting that Yankee cut. I think that's pretty cool. (laughs) Thanks. Take care.